0: once again praise the name of the lord jesus christ it's good to see each of you here this morning i'd like to ask you to take your bibles again and turn back the book of revelation revelation chapter 6. what i hope to do this morning by the grace of god is to work through this passage of scripture in such a way as to convey to you what we see on the page itself by way of the unfolding of the seals of our of the scroll that our lord jesus christ has taken from the hand of the father But what I also hope to do with you this morning is to present to you the great pivotal point, I believe, in the passage. And the great pivotal point in the passage is the question of who can escape, who shall escape to escape the wrath of the Lamb of God. And that's what I want to deal with you here this morning. The wrath of the Lamb of God. In this passage of Scripture, much is revealed. We might even say, in a very real way, it's the entire scope of of God's redemptive purposes. In this sixth chapter, this seven uh, sealed book is unfolded in a way to give to us the really, really what we might say is the entirety of human destiny and the purposes of God in creation. But there is that one pressing question at the end of this sixth chapter, who can escape the day of the wrath of the Lamb? And so what I hope to do is to, uh, with you this morning is both to inform your minds But also, I hope to encourage your souls by way of the great comfort and escape from the wrath of the Lamb that there is by way of coming to faith and receiving this one as both Lord and Savior. The one who expresses himself in wrath against the ungodly is the very one who encourages all those who will follow him by faith. And so, by God's grace, that's what I hope to do here this morning. Again, please take your Bibles and we'll turn to Revelation, the sixth chapter. And we'll read the chapter in its entirety. Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 through 17. Please hear the word of God. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, and one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to make peace, to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another, and that there was given unto him a great sword. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard the voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see, thou hurt not the oil and the wine. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And the name that sat on him was death, and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death and the beast of the earth. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And the stars of the heaven fell to the earth, even even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who? shall be able to stand well here is a passage of scripture that has much before us much before us by way of uh, questions as to what is going on in this passage of scripture and what is being revealed and in a very real way so often times when we read this passage of scripture or this book of revelation these matters of chronology really come to the forefront these matters of how god will do uh, his his how god will perform his will on the earth really come to our attention but what i want to do with you this morning is not only touch on these very important matters to set before you god's purposes for humanity i also want to deal with that question that is asked at the end of this chapter who shall escape the wrath of the lamb And i want to show you that in the gospel of jesus christ there is a way of escape for all those who may come under the judgment of god that there is a way of escape for all those who will look to jesus christ in faith and so my, 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 my purpose, then, is twofold. It's number one, to inform the mind, to give you some hope and some semblance of God's purposes for the future, but also to give you a present comfort in the day and age in which we live, that you might know and understand a way of escape. Now, let me say this. I know most of you here this morning, and I would say to you, if you've come to the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior, if you've repented of sin, then you know what it is to escape the wrath. But we must deal with this question because it's before us in this passage. And so by God's grace, that's what we will do. What I want to do right now is just remind you of what we've done so far in our study in the book of Revelation. You remember we introduced the book and in a very real way in the opening chapter, the whole scope of the book is set before us. It's again, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's setting before us God's purposes for humanity. It's showing to us that God's will will be accomplished that Satan and and the enemies of God will not have their way when all is said and done, but rather Christ will come forth victorious, and all those who walk with the Lamb shall experience that victory of God. You've seen how we've dealt with with the messages that our Lord Jesus Christ gave to the seven churches. Each and every one of those churches, you remember we said, were historical churches churches that existed in space and time we might say churches again that in a very real way are representative of churches that we see in every age throughout every period of the history of the church many take these seven churches as being representative of seven eras in church history i think a better way to understand that is to see these churches as number one historical but also these churches as pointing to characteristics that are true of every church or I'm sorry, I should say it this way, true of of, of of any church throughout the ages of the church. And so, again, there are lukewarm churches. There are churches that are orthodox but cold. There are churches that are suffering persecution. Each and every age has churches like we see here in the uh, uh, second and third chapter of the book of Revelation. I would also say this to you that the characteristics that we find in uh, Revelation chapter two and three of the churches are characteristics that we see in Christians as well. There are Christians in our day again, who love the Lord Jesus Christ and who are willing to suffer for him. There are Christians in our day, sadly, who are lukewarm. There are Christians in our day who are being challenged in many ways. So what I would say to you is that as we looked at those letters, what we saw was not so much a chronology, of the history of the church, but the characteristics of the church throughout history and many of those same characteristics, as I said before, we see in our congregations today. May we be a people who are willing to live for the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter what the difficulty that is presented to us. What we did after we took a look at uh, chapters two and three is we look specifically at chapters four and five. And you might remember the thing that we tried to really set before your thinking in that regard was that no matter what is going on on the earth by way, of the, by way of the history of the church and by way of the characteristics of the church, the one thing that you and I need to remember is that God is on his throne. I love the very fact that when John is taken up to heaven by way of a vision, the first thing that he sees is God on his throne. And that sets the perspective for everything. You and I must know and understand that as we see these seals being opened and as we see human history unfolding, we cannot forget that God is on his throne. We cannot forget that the purpose of God shall come to pass. And why shall the purposes of God come to pass? You might remember that that was the specific emphasis of the fifth chapter. In that fifth chapter, you remember Jesus Christ, the one who was worthy to take the scroll from the Father. You remember the phrase, the, the terminology that we use? We said that Jesus Christ is the great executor of the will of God. And there was that scroll, that scroll of human history, that scroll of the destiny of all of creation in the father's hand, taken by the Lord Jesus Christ, and now those seals being opened. Well here we will come to the sixth chapter then, and we will see each of these scrolls, uh, each of these seals opened up. We'll see again the first six, and what we're going to do is we're going to try to give some explanation of what these seals represent when they're opened. We're going to see that there are both uh, political ramifications of the opening of the seals. There are economic ramifications of the opening of the seals. We see that the opening of the seals reveal again the faithful people of God who have suffered for his cause. And we see again that awful outpouring of the great day of the wrath of the Lamb. But if I just gave you an outline and and an overview of those six seals and and didn't bring the bear upon your thinking, the reality that underlying it all is the wrath of God against sin, I would be missing the point. This idea of the wrath of God, if I can say it this way, it's one of the controlling themes not only of the book of Revelation, but of all of God's revealed purposes in Scripture. So many times we try to move away from the concept of God's wrath. Too many tell us in our day that wrath is something that is unworthy of God, but we don't see that testimony in Scripture. Rather, we see in Scripture that God is eternally settled against all that which is contrary to his nature. And while today is, and I want to emphasize this, while today is a day of great grace, it is the day of grace, we use this terminology, do we not? It's the day when God is not willing that any should perish. It's the day when the gospel goes forward. It's the day when you and I can say to men and women, boys and girls everywhere, that God sent his son to save sinners. And I, even as I'm declaring this, I ask you the question, have you heard that message and received that message, Believe that message? Is that the message that encourages your heart today? That Jesus Christ came to save sinners? Oh, you see, this is the beauty of the gospel. But this very one who came to save sinners as the Lamb of God has also been revealed to us in Scripture as the Lion of the the tribe of Judah. And this Lion of the tribe of Judah will be the great executor, not only of the gracious purposes of God, but also of God's wrath against sin. That's what's being revealed in this passage of Scripture. And so by God's grace, I I hope to set these things before you here today. What I would say to you, by way of a by way of a proposition, or by way of a primary uh, point that I want to make this morning uh, from this sixth chapter, it's the following: that the opening of the seals in this sixth chapter is the unfolding of the wrath of God and of the <clears throat> excuse me and of the Lamb, from which sinners may escape through repentance and faith in the Lamb. Let me read that again. The opening of the seals is the unfolding of the wrath of God and of the Lamb from which sinners may escape. We may escape that wrath, and how do we escape that wrath through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Our outline will be very simple this morning, as I've kind of, you may have noticed that uh, in almost every one of these uh, of, of of our um, uh, sermons uh, from uh, from chapter four now through chapter six, our outline has usually been just two points, and it will be the same today. Uh, The points that we'll follow here today are, number one, the opening of the seals, we'll take a look at that, and number two, escaping the wrath, the opening of the seals and escaping the wrath. You might remember one of the things that we said last week when we saw our Lord Jesus Christ coming forth in that fifth chapter and taking the scroll from the Father's hand, we said that was a very, very significant event, that the Lord Jesus Christ was counted worthy to do that very action, was something to see. And you remember what we said last week about the worthiness of Christ as it was proclaimed in heaven in that fifth chapter. The worthiness was not a worthiness that was centering on his inherent nature or his essential deity as God. He certainly is worthy for that reason alone. But the worthiness that was ascribed to him was the, was the worthiness that came to him because of his saving actions on your behalf. He was the lamb that was slain. He was the lamb that redeemed us. He was the lamb that made us kings and priests unto our God. And we shall reign with him forever. And all of heaven, therefore, gave praise to Jesus Christ for that. And Jesus Christ took that scroll. And now here in this sixth chapter, we have the beginning of the opening of that scroll. I want you to see that this sixth chapter, again, is really dominated by the person of the lamb, we might say. Notice again there in chapter six, verse one. And I saw when the lamb had opened one of the seals. Come down to the end here now in verse 16 and, and uh, in verse 16 in, in the latter part of the verse. And from the wrath of the lamb, the great day of his wrath has come. The lamb in a very real way bookends this entire sixth chapter. And so everything that we see about in this sixth chapter is all filtered through the work and the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here He comes now with this with this scroll in his hand. And what is this scroll? This scroll is the purposes of God for all of his created order. This scroll is the purpose of God for redemption. This scroll is the purpose of God by way of his judgment against sin. This scroll is that which again unfolds for us the very purposes of God. And if you read through this six, if you read through this book of Revelation, what you will find over and over again is the insistence that God will have his will accomplished on this earth. That wickedness and evil and, and, and sinful man or Satan will not have their way when all is said and done. God will indeed come forth victorious. And as, and, and as the purposes of God are unfolded, what we find in this book of Revelation, in one sense, is a twofold rep- uh, repetition. We see worship throughout the book, and we see his wrath expressed throughout the book. In one sense, that's what the book is all about. It's about his worship and about his wrath. And so here in this sixth chapter, we'll see by way of the unfolding and the opening of these seals, uh, the wrath of God is being revealed. The other thing I want to say just in general about these seals that we're going to look at here today, it's kind of interesting that whether you look at the seals that are opened here, whether we look at the trumpets that will be mentioned later, or whether we look at the bowl judgments, each of these judgments that God has, each uh, each of these iterations of his wrath and his judgment break down in a twofold way. Usually there is the expression of the first four and then the second three. It's interesting to see that in each one of the uh, iterations of judgment we see that two, we see that twofold division. and we'll touch upon that as we as we go along. But the first thing I want you to see here again is this opening of the, uh, of the scroll uh, of the seals. Look there again in chapter uh, in chapter 6 verse one. and when I saw the lamb, Opened one of the seals, I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, and one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering in the conqueror. We come to our first interpretive question with this first seal. And it's very interesting because this this interpretive question that confronts us it's kind of interesting because commentators are almost uh, evenly divided as to how to understand this first opening seal and the rider on this horse. <clears throat> I remember uh, when I had heard for the first time that there are commentators who, who believe that this, this rider on this white horse is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And the conquest there is the conquest of the gospel as it is preached throughout history. And there's a sense in which you, that may be new to you. You may be familiar, familiar with that. I remember when I heard it a number of years ago, it was new to me. I, I had always heard it from another perspective, that this was a reference not to the Lord Jesus Christ, but to, but actually to the Antichrist. And when I heard that, I was really kind of taken aback by it. How could this be a reference uh, to, uh, uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ, when in my mind it was so clearly a reference uh, to Antichrist? And I remember literally scouring uh, every um, commentary that I can get on the book of Revelation. And to my surprise, it was almost evenly split as to those who believe it's a reference to Christ and those who believe it's a reference to Antichrist. It's interesting because if we take it as being a reference to Christ, there are things that kind of fit at least immediately in the overall flow of the passage. There is this idea that the gospel it has gone and is going forth and that Christ conquers the souls of men and women by way of the gospel, humbling the heart, bowing the knee, and coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And in a very real way, that that view that this first writer is actually a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ, if I can say it this way, it preaches very well. But even as I hesitated to embraced that view years ago I still hesitate to embrace that embrace that view today well I think that there is much by way of the scholarship that's behind it by by, uh, much by way of the godliness of men who set that forth I think when all is said and done we're not seeing here a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ but rather what we are seeing here is a reference to ultimately to the Antichrist I'm convinced that this sixth chapter in a very real way parallels uh, our Lord's uh, sermon, our Lord's uh, uh, Olivet Discourse. I'm, I'm very convinced that whether we look at uh, Luke 21 or, or Mark chapter 13 or, or Matthew chapter 24, that what we will see in our Lord's Olivet Discourse is a parallel of Revelation chapter 6. And in one sense, we can say this, as our Lord Jesus Christ sets before us the whole of the prophetic uh, schedule or calendar, if we can use that terminology, in the same way, we see this happening in Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 through 17. And so what I want to do is I just want to show you some of the interesting parallels that we see. I would even ask you to take your Bibles and go back to Matthew uh, 24, keep your finger in Revelation 6, and then go back to Matthew chapter 24. And what we're going to see here is that there are there are uh, very clear parallels in our Lord's Olivet Discourse with this passage of Scripture. So again, the first thing that we see here, And when I saw the uh, the Lamb open, one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, and one of the four beasts saying, Come and see, I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and the conquer. The first thing I wanna say by way of my understanding that this is not the Lord Jesus Christ, I see the Lord Jesus Christ, as I said before, as the great executor of everything that's going on and our Lord Jesus Christ is the one who is in control of the opening of these seals. And when this writer comes on the scene and when, he, and when he, it says that he has a bow and he is given a crown, I want you to see and understand that this is all happening under the sovereign purposes of God. This is not something that's just happening by way of, a, of, 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 of an unexpected turn of events. No, history, the scroll you see of human destiny is in the hand of Christ now. And he is the great executor of the will of God. And so what we see here by way of this first passage of Scripture is uh, very parallel to Matthew 24, verses 1 through 5. And you might remember that the, that the, that the original setting of the Olivet Discourse was, was, was with the questions uh, that the disciples were asking the Lord Jesus Christ. And the first thing that he says to his disciples to be cautious of was to be cautious of deception. Notice what we have here in Matthew 24, 1 through 5. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the age? And I'm I'm convinced that this passage in Matthew 24 parallels Revelation chapter 6. And notice what we have here in verse 4, what Jesus said, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceives you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. I'm convinced that in this opening of the first seal, we see a parallel of what our Lord Jesus Christ was saying here. This coming peace on the earth is not a true peace. It's a false peace. It's not a peace that Christ offers through the gospel. It's a peace that Antichrist offers by way of deception. And isn't this one of the great things that we must be aware of? of as we go even through our own present day the reality of deception that's before us, the subtlety of arguments against the gospel, the way in which wickedness is put, puts on the, the robe or the dress of what is right and what is good and what is righteous and we're confronted by way of a way of, of a culture that would look down or or, 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 or accuse us of, of, of mannerisms or, or of actions that, that, that are unrighteous because we take a stand for righteousness. And we live in a day where unrighteousness has become the standard of righteousness, and they, and it, and it's a great challenge. Churches, again, by 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 the, by the numbers, are being swept up swept up into this new morality that has nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, again, I do believe that what we see here in this first. And this first opening of the seal, is this, is the deception that comes upon uh, uh, that comes upon humanity as a whole uh, through the through the uh, in, uh, through the instrumentality of the Antichrist, and so that's how I understand this first seal. The way I see the second seal, notice again, we go on. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, come and see. And there went out another horse that was red and, the, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. Well, again, this is uh, these uh, these uh, these. These quote unquote, these four horsemen of the apocalypse are, are very well known in, uh, in, 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 the, in the public conscience. And what we see here now is a, is a taking away of this false peace that was first given. And there is now granted to this second horseman the ability to make war and the ability to take away peace. And I think again, as we keep with, uh, if we keep with Matthew chapter, uh, 24 and verses six and seven, our Lord says this after he warns of the deception, he says the following. Notice again in Matthew 24 verses six and seven. And ye shall hear of, and ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled for all these things must come to pass and the end is not yet. For king nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. And what we see again in this 24th chapter, and it's the same whether we look in whether we look in, in Mark 13 or in Luke 21, we see this parallel between the unfolding of, of human destiny in Revelation chapter 6 and the unfolding of human destiny as we see it in, in Mark and Matthew chapter 24. And so these same things are there. We see in our day and we've seen throughout human history, again, the, the, this, uh, the, the predominance of, of, of aggression and war. We've seen so many individuals uh, uh, just slaughtered by, 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 the, by the multitudes uh, in the whole reality of human conflict and war. And so what we see there is the second seal. Now, I have to say something here. One of the ways in which I understand the overall uh, implication of the book of Revelation is that I don't see uh, the seals being unfolded over a long period of time. There are some that see it that way. Some see this as just a long unfolding of human history. Rather, I see this much like the Olivet Discourse as a as a confined period of time toward the end, immediately preceding the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so while there may have been these things throughout human history, there's always been deception, there's always been warfare, there's always been famine, there's always been difficulties, all, the, all these things. I see this as, as, as referring specifically to a time when our Lord Je- immediately immediately preceding uh, the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so again the second seal is open and that second seal is marked by great bloodshed and great warfare the third uh, seal that we see open is in verses five and six and when he had opened the third seal i heard one i heard the third beast uh, say come and see and i beheld and lo, a black horse and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts saying, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see that thou hurt not the oil and the wine. Again, if, you're, if your finger is there in, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 7, Our Lord says there again, Nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines. And so again, the parallel that we see running through these two passages of Scripture and it's, again, very understandable to see. We, we've seen this in human history. It will be a particular feature of the end of time, but we've seen it both in human history, and we forecast it for the end of time, when, not, when there will not only be war, but following war there shall be these famines. It's very interesting the way that famine is pictured here. This black horse rider, uh, this one who has a pair of scales in his hands, and the idea here now is this. Everything is measured out. The idea that a day's wages, a penny, a day's wages would only uh, have enough to fr- to provide food for a single day, when everything was in its normal operation, we might say a day's wage would get anywhere from twelve, maybe fifteen, and even in an abundant times, maybe twenty times uh, a day's uh, uh, food, uh, tw- uh, twenty days of food for a penny. So you see that you see the extreme inflation and you see the difficulty economically, and that's what we're seeing unfold here. And I do believe that when our Lord Jesus Christ, prior to, his, uh, prior to his coming, we will see the increase of these things. Yes, of war. Yes, of economic uh, hardship. And so that's what we have by way of this third seal. The fourth seal is presented to us in verses 7 and 8. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth piece uh, say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse And the name on him was death and hell followed him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death and the beast of the earth. This is where we see again in verse seven as well. We see the idea of famines and now pestilence and uh, and these difficulties. So the parallels are there. And what we're seeing by way of this fourth seal, as I said before, is the devastation that's brought on humanity by way of the judgment of God against sin. As I said before, we see this throughout human history. These things repeat themselves over and over again. But just prior to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, I'm convinced that these things will really be brought into focus by way of our perspective and being able to see and understand these things. Well, those are the first four seals. Those four seals, as I said before, they have social and economic bearing. You talk to some people today and they they will tell you that everything is all about what happens socially and economically. Well, I want you to see and understand that our Lord Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who is the Lord of history as well. And everything that happens by way of the, 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 the progress of history is all bound up in the hand of our Lord Jesus Christ. So those first four seals. We come to the fifth seal now, and I think the fifth seal is interesting because the fifth seal takes us into heaven. It's not the, it's not the events of what's happening on the earth. It's what we see in heaven. And notice what we have here, in verse uh, in verses uh, six and uh, verses nine through eleven. And when he and when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony that they held uh, that, they, that they held. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, "How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth?" Here we have the persecuted church. Here we have the saints that have been persecuted. And yes, there have been individuals throughout the history of the church that have suffered for the cause of God. Did you see the reason why they were persecuted? They were persecuted for the word of God. What is it in sinful what is it in sinful man that hates the word of God? What is it in sinful humanity that must that must work so much against the word of God? And why is it that when you are confronted with these things, the word of God just sinks deep in down in you? And there's a sense in which you cannot leave off God's word. You see, it's the work of the Spirit of God effectively in your heart. But here we see again this great, uh, this, 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 this great uh, a revealing of those who have given their lives for the cause of Christ. Matthew chapter 24 verse 9 reads as follows, Then they shall deliver you up to be afflicted, and they shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. You see, these things again have happened throughout human history, and these things will come to a head just prior to the return of our Lord Jesus Christ many believe that when, and i am of this i'm of the school of thought many, many believe that in this uh, sixth chapter uh, we have the beginning of the great uh, tribulation i would see that i would agree with that there and so that's why i said before that while these things have all happened throughout the course of human history we're seeing here really a concentrated a concentrated uh, uh, unveiling of what's going to happen uh, prior to the return of our lord jesus christ and so again it's interesting that these things are happening in heaven. This is, a, this is revealing not so much what's going on the earth, although on the earth these men, these, these men, these boys, these girls, these women have been slain for the cause of Christ on earth, but they're there with, they're there with Christ in heaven. And that, that designation of them being under the altar, it speaks again of their privileged place. Christ does not, again, think it an insignificant thing should you shed your blood for his cause. Christ does not see it as some small thing that you should suffer reproach for his name. Christ, again, identifies with his people. And even in this time when when everything is coming to a head, our Lord Jesus Christ reminds these ones that there are still those who have to be faithful to Christ on the death. Brothers and sisters, it seems very unlikely that that would be any of us. But if it were some of us, would we, could we, by the grace of God, know that inner witness of the Spirit that for some reason we cannot say why, but we will not, we cannot leave off the testimony of God as found in His Word? What is it? Maybe you've experienced these things. We read of individuals who have been martyred for the cause of Christ or, 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 or had suffered severely for the cause of Christ, and of course the ones who were not martyred, but the ones who came through it. They, they, they revealed how that God carried them through the whole time. That there was a sense that after a certain point of the difficulty and the pain and the hardship, God just lifted them above it and seemed to carry them through. God is able to do that. And so again, here we see these ones being faithful for the cause of Christ, paralleling what our Lord says there in Matthew 24. Well now we come to the sixth seal and the sixth seal is given the most uh, is given the most space, we might say. And look what we see here in verses 12 through 17. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree cast her untimely figs, when she is shaken by a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it was rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in dens, in the rocks, and the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath, your translations may say, the great day of their wrath has come and who shall be able to stand. Well, this parallels as well what we see in Matthew chapter 24, verses 29 and 30. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. As I said before, I really believe that Matthew chapter 24 and and Revelation chapter 6, they parallel one another. And in a very real way, Matthew 24 can be used as a key for us to understand what is happening there in Revelation uh, chapter 6. But what I want you to see here particularly is notice again the woe that these men express. What they look to and what they see is this sixth seal opening up is the great day of the wrath of Almighty God, the great day of his wrath. I want you to make sure that you see that. Because you cannot read through the book of Revelation and escape this idea of the wrath of God against wickedness and against sin. Thirteen times in the book of Revelation, the wrath of God or the wrath of the Lamb is mentioned. Over and over again, what we see, and I find it beautiful that that there is this, 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 this exchange throughout the book of Revelation. On the one hand, we see the worship of God. On the other hand, we see the wrath of God being expressed. The worship of God by the way of the people of God and by way of, uh, again, the, the righteous angels, those, who have, uh, those individual souls who have been redeemed. And on the earth, those who follow the, uh, the beast and, and, and receive his mark, again, there is great wrath poured out upon them. And what this book of Revelation does, it brings to a very, a very close uh, point of focus the reality of where our soul lies. Will we express loyalty with Christ or will we rebel against Christ? If we express loyalty to Christ, we will be among those who who are there worshiping. If we rebel against Christ, we will be among those who receive his wrath. Oh, you see, everything is brought into this stark contrast in this book of Revelation. And so here again, we have this. Did you notice again the, the things that we see here? Notice some of the specifics here. Uh, not only by way of the, the of what's happening in the in the uh, in, in, in the in the created order. I behold the sick, I beheld the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. We often see this uh, by way of the judgments of God. The sun became black as sackcloth. Again, these are all very familiar uh, uh, things that happen when we see the judgment of God being spoken about. Uh, the stars of heaven falling but what we see really and what i want you to focus on is in verse 15. all of humanity is taken up by way of what's happening here no one escapes verse 15 and the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every every bondman and every freeman hid themselves in other words this is something that happens to all of humanity And what's significant about this is that there seems to be an emphasis on what we might call the the, the upper classes of society. The kings, the rich men, the mighty men, the captains. And what we see is that these men with all their wherewithal are not able to escape the wrath of the land. These men with all their riches and these men with all their influence and all their power are not able to escape the wrath of the land. Don't you find it significant that these great and mighty men are not able to take recourse to the things that their wealth and their might might give to them? They are reduced to finding protection in holes and in caves. That's how real and that's how extensive this judgment is. And they ask that question, who can escape the wrath of God, of the one who sits on the throne and of the Lamb? For the great day of his wrath has come. And so again, what I want to do now, I've I've, I've tried to walk you through these six seals uh, there are, again, there are, uh, commentators see these in different ways. I've set before you how I understand uh, these six seals. But we must come now to this question, who can escape the day of his wrath? Who can escape the day of his wrath? I want to reiterate what I said earlier. Today is a day of grace. Well, there are great passages of scripture that inform us as to how we engage society as a whole. We speak of the fact in 2 second, second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We speak of great passages of Scripture, like in Romans chapter 2, uh, verse 4, how that God's goodness leads us to repentance. We make much of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. But it's not, if I can say it this way, it's not an undefined grace. It's, it's, not, it's not an undefined grace. It's a grace, again, that has its limits within the gospel. And that's why we preach the gospel. And don't ask me why we're hated for preaching the very thing that gives to men and women the ability to escape this awful wrath. But there is hostility to it. But we preach it anyway. Why? Because today is the day of God's today is the day of God's grace, and we make much of that. We would even say this uh, concerning the idea of his uh, of his, of his wrath. His wrath again is is uh, who can who can understand the, the 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 nature and the depth of his wrath. But oh, how much more his love and his grace, in a sense, go, goes even deeper than that. And so we make much of this day of grace that we are in, but we do not leave off the reality of a coming day of wrath. There's, if I can say it this way, I may be speaking beyond what I'm able to speak of, but it's my fear in our day that we have lost this element of the gospel that's so important. You say, wrath is important in the gospel? It most certainly is. Paul cannot begin the great exposition of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the book of Romans apart from mentioning the wrath of God. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And it's only then that he goes into his great exposition of the saving work of Jesus Christ. The good news is good news because God's wrath is against sin. I ask you the question, how do you stand? Where do you stand? Do you see again this world and all of its pleasures? Do you see this world again? as that which is uh, by, way of its, by, by, by way of its mindset, by way of its, uh, by, by way of its thinking, is that what, is that what captures your, your thinking? Or do you see in the gospel of Jesus Christ not only a beauty but an, but an inescapable logic of love that God so loves sinners, you and me, that he gave his only begotten son. He poured out his wrath on his son in order that he might show his mercy and grace upon us. Oh, yes, we make much of the day of grace, but we must mention the day of wrath. We must mention it for at least two reasons. Number one, we must mention the day of wrath because it's here in the text of Scripture. We must, number two, mention the day of wrath because I believe that within human nature, there is a reality, there is a knowing reality. They know that one day they must face this good, this judge. And so we speak much then about this. So what is this wrath? Well, as I said before, the wrath of God, we might define it like this, or we might at least say this by way of a preface, that the wrath of God is not his unhinged rage against something he doesn't like. His wrath is in no way like a human wrath. It's not marked by, the, by, by, by some of the flaws of of human, uh, by, of human emotion and, and human nature. But rather, wrath is a perfection of His being. Wrath is that in God which is eternally settled, which is eternally settled against all of that which is contrary to His nature and all of that which would bring harm to His creatures. So God, again, has this element of wrath in him. It's not, this, it's not something that's uncontrollable. It's not something, again, that, uh, that, that God loses uh, 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 his, his ability to handle. It is his purposeful and settled opposition to all that which is contrary to his, to, to his holy nature. And because of that, this wrath, again, is not just mechanical, we might say. His wrath is personal. God, God again, takes wrath against sin and so this idea of the wrath and it's interesting that in the book of revelation we see both the reference to the wrath of god almighty and to the wrath of the lamb and here again the emphasis is on both there uh, the wrath of god almighty the one who sits on the throne and the wrath of the lamb and so i ask you the question then if this question were in your mouth or if i were posing the question that we see here in revelation chapter 6 verses 14 through 17 who shall escape the great day of his wrath? How would you answer that? How would you answer that? Well, first, let me draw you back to the concept we've already spoken of, the day of grace. You see, in the day of grace, you need to understand that Jesus Christ died to take away the wrath of God. We see this in a number of passages of Scripture. I think of that passage of Scripture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. Paul writes to the Thessalonians, and he says this to them. He says, You wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus... Which delivered us from the wrath to come? Do you know that the Scripture speaks about the wrath, which is a which is a present, abiding reality? There is this there, there is this reality of a, uh, that wrath again, even in, even in our day today, is that which is a, which is operative in the world. Now, again, we know the great grace of God, but the scripture also speaks about a coming day of wrath. We read of this again in in Matthew uh, chapter 3, verse uh, 7, when when John the Baptist was speaking to the religious leaders, the Pharisees, we might even say the hypocrites. He says this, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Again, in uh, uh, the passage that I already quoted from Paul, he's delivered us from the wrath to come. Romans, uh, Revelation chapter 6 speaks about this wrath, which is to come, and how do we escape it? Well, the first thing I want you to be aware of, even before I get into the details of that, I want you to be aware of that if you are in Christ this morning, you need not fear what the great kings of the earth fear, what the mighty captains fear, fear, what what the significant fear, what every class of humanity fears. You need not fear that. Why? Because in and through Jesus Christ, the wrath is taken away. I think of passages that speak about the fear that's uh, that's related to, to the concept of the coming wrath of God. Passages like Luke 21, which is again the all of the dis- discourse as we have it in Luke. Ver- uh, Luke 21 verse 26. Men's heart failing them for fear. There's these individuals here in Revelation chapter 6. And they're fearful. They're, 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 their anxiety is undoing them. Some of us might know what it is to be gripped with that kind of one. Well, maybe not that this degree of fear. But we know what it is to, to have this fear, this anxiety gripping us. And oh, what, what anxiety that will be! And so again, this idea—you must understand when, uh, when, when, whenever there was the first introduction of sin in the humanity. That's the first time we see anything by way of by way of fear or anxiety. When sin was introduced into the human condition by way of Adam's sin, that's the first time we see fear or anxiety. In Genesis three, verse ten, again, God is. Questioning Adam, and and, and, and the tenth verse says as follows: "And I heard I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid We never have any reference of fear in the Scripture before sin was introduced. And I'm saying to you, a clear conscience before God calms all fears. And these great men of the earth, these significant ones, these ones, the powerful and the mighty, yes, even the yes, even the, even the lesser, the 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 bond and the and 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 the free, again, their hearts gripping them for fear. Oh, you, you see and you understand that by way of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, you don't need the fear. What the great, but what, what the unsaved men and women of this world fear, they fear the coming wrath of God. You need not fear that. And why is that? You need not fear that because the Lord Jesus Christ has come forth on your behalf. And he has borne the wrath of God on the cross. And so here I am saying that the question is, who shall save us from the wrath of the Lamb? And I'm saying to you that if you're in Christ, you need not ask that question. You've been saved from the wrath of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Christ took your wrath that your sin deserved. But I must press this upon you and I must ask you this question. Do you know, do you know with a certainty that you are not among those who asked the question in the sixth chapter of Revelation? Do you know of a certainty that Jesus Christ has died for your sins? And what I want to do is I want to use what we've already uncovered in the book of Revelation to, to press this upon you. We want to use this, and again, if I can say it this way, as a a passage of scripture whereby our souls and our consciences will be examined here today. And so, how do I know? How do you know that we will not be among those who ask the question on that day? Well, it's all found in the Book of Revelation, as we work through it already. In Revelation chapter one, verse five, we speak. Our Lord John speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ in this in, in these ways. He says, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Does that refer to you? Do you understand that Jesus Christ, when we talk about the cross of Christ, are you able to say again with John that Jesus Christ bled and died for me? That he washed me, he washed my sins in his own blood on the cross? And so again, what, desi- what, what separates those who ask the question there in Revelation chapter 6 and those who can look confidently to the things that we see in Revelation chapter 6 is the fact that Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ, cleanses you and cleanses, my, and cleanses my sin. Is that true of you? Are you trusting in Jesus Christ? Is Jesus Christ the one, again, who gives you peace before God Almighty and peace by way of understanding the coming wrath? And so there's the fact that Jesus Christ has, has washed us from our own sins in his blood. The second thing I would say to you, by way of knowing whether or not you're not going to be among those who ask that dreadful question on that day who shall save us from the wrath to come? The second thing I would say to you is this Are you like those who, again, in this first chapter of the book of Revelation? Are you like those who love to hear the reading of God's word? Listen to the passage of scripture. Blessed is he that reads and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep the things that are written therein. Does that describe you? Can you be described as one who loves to hear the things of God? Can you be the one that is described as actually working out in your life everything that God has is, is revealed in the prophecy of this book? Do you see the things that that God is saying to stay away from, the things that God is saying to embrace and follow? Are you doing that, you see? Are you doing that by the grace of God? Is the grace of God so operative in your life that you can say, Yes, the blood of Jesus Christ is covering my soul? Yes, I have a longing to hear the word and to do the word. Thirdly, I would say this Are you overcoming? Over and over again in those letters to the churches, the great, one of the great refrains was to him that overcomes, to him that overcomes. Are you overcoming? Well, you may say, I don't know if I'm overcoming or not. Well, let me say this. When you come to, when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you overcame. You know that, don't you? We read that in 1 John chapter 5. Who is he that overcomes? Even he that believes on, on, on the Lord Jesus Christ. When you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you overcame the world. You overcame the flesh. You overcame the devil. You won a great victory when you came to faith in Jesus Christ. Have you won that victory? Is your soul possessing faith? And are you holding on to that? I want you to see and I want you to understand what great victories you want. You want a great victory over the world when you came to faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because you listened to the gospel rather than listening to the false peace that the world would give to you. You won a great victory over the flesh that day. Why? Because you were willing to say no to sinful desires and say yes to the desire to follow Jesus Christ. You won, a, you won a great victory over Satan that day because rather following him in the kingdom of darkness, you followed the Lord Jesus Christ into the kingdom of light. So there was a great victory won, you see. And so I'm saying to you, if these things are true of you, you need not fear the day of the wrath of the Lamb. Why? Because the Lamb has delivered you from His wrath. And you are those who walk and follow the lamb wherever he goes. And so our Lord Jesus Christ, again, comes before us as the one who sets before us not the wrath of God, but the peace of God. who The, the one who comes before us and, and works not wrath upon us, but works peace within us. Well you see the sixth chapter of the book of Revelation. Yes, we can get into everything by way of prophecy and chronology, and we have to do these things. I would, be, I would not be handling the, the, the passage correctly if I was not trying to bring to your attention this unfolding of the purposes of God, that great scroll of human destiny, that great scroll wherein we have everything by way of the purposes of God unfolded. But all of these things must come down, not just to our mind, but to our hearts and souls. Where do we stand before this awfully holy God? And I, I hope it. and I pray by way of the preaching of the gospel, by way of the presentation of the gospel here this morning, I hope and I pray that each and every one of us are resting in Jesus Christ. So you see, you won this great You won a great victory when you came to faith in Jesus Christ. And I want you to know and understand that this great victory you won was not a victory that you worked up in yourself. Do you know that? Do you understand that? In a very real way, we say about the, the salvation of our souls where our Lord Jesus Christ says to his disciples, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And ordained you that you might bring forth fruit. Well, Jesus chose, Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ put this great grace in your soul to be able to say no to the world and yes to Christ. To be able to say no to the flesh and yes to Christ. To be able to say no to the devil and yes to Christ. You did these, you said these things. Why? Because Christ first loved you. First John chapter 4, verse 19. So then, my brothers and sisters, I just close this out and with three final points. Number one, let me say this. Do not let this present day of grace cause you to forget or to doubt a future day of wrath. You Understand, we make much of the gospel. We would be wrong if we didn't. We preach the gospel. We proclaim the gospel. We hold out the gospel to sinners everywhere. But in the preaching of the gospel, our gospel must not be short, must not be truncated. We must not cut it short. We must say that the gospel is God's purpose is to save, even while, even because he is making known his wrath against all unrighteousness and all ungodliness of men. It's comprehensive, you see. But the gospel answers to all these things. So do not let the present day of grace cause you to forget or to doubt the day of future wrath. Secondly, remember that the scroll of destiny is in the hand of the worthy lamb. And that he and not wicked men or Satan control the present or the future. That's a challenge for us sometimes, isn't it? We see wicked men. We see all their machinations. We see how they're able to turn this. How it seems in our day that a a lie is just as common as a penny in our day. And there's lies that, 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 that go across the board from those who are supposed to be trusted. Lies one after another. And we think to ourselves, who should we listen to? Can I say it to you, listen to the word of God. Hear what the spirit of God says in the word and follow that. And so again, remember that this scroll of destiny is in the hand of the worthy lamb. That one that you follow, that one who died for you. And it's not in the control of wicked men or of Satan himself. And then thirdly, remember this. All those who follow the lamb shall be freed from the wrath of the lamb. In Revelation chapter 14, verse four, John writes about those who follow the lamb wherever He goes. Could that be a designation of us as the people of God here today? That wherever the lamb goes, we follow. wherever the lamb goes, we follow. We are by His grace among His faithful followers, to all of us who hear the Word of God in this way, and who respond to it in, that, in, in this way. Never have to ask the question shall I escape the day of his wrath? Because on the cross and on Calvary, all of God's righteous wrath against my sin and your sin was poured out. My friends, escape from the day of wrath happened on the day of Calvary and the day of Christ's crucifixion. Will that day be your saving day? Will you look back to what happened on that day? as the payment for your sins For all who do, you need not fear the coming day of the great wrath of the Lamb. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, work deep within our souls, we pray. Much that awaits the future, Father, that we thank you. You have given us a great outline and even much detail. But Father, what we pray is that as we wait for the unfolding of all of your purposes, that we would follow the Lamb wherever he leads us. Grant this, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.